Hi, I'm Elizabeth Noyce, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. McGurk! I Do love typing. Do not mess in. with my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you like it? It's being, becoming a human burrito, a plus or a minus. I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther boardroom or ballroom. Because <laughs> she looks like a boss in this coat. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther. It's not just Lena being mean. No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon. And for this episode of the podcast, we are live and wired on the DC TV podcast YouTube channel and the Supergirl Radio Facebook page. And we are joined by Matthew Wilson, uh, the property master of the CW Supergirl TV series. And uh, Matthew said we could refer to him as Matt. So that is what we will uh, go by. So welcome to Supergirl Radio, Matt. Thank you both for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, we are very excited because we actually, uh, we've already talked about you on the podcast. I don't know if your ears were burning at some point, um, <laughs> but uh, but you did make an appearance on DC Fandom a, a while back. It's It's been a yeah. while since, since that happened. Uh, but you are uh, helping us cross something off of our bucket list. So uh, just in case anyone didn't see that, uh, this is what we talked about. Matthew Wilson from Supergirl, he had some props in the, the background of his shot, which I thought was very fitting that a property master would be like, <laughs> I got to dress my shot. I got to make it look good. We definitely need to try to get him on Supergirl Radio. Oh my gosh. That'd be so fun. But yeah, he's, he's, on, he's on my list. <laughs> So you're making a dream come true for us. So oh. we, really, we really appreciate that you're here. All that stuff's missing now. It's it's, it's down in LA. But, so you, you, you didn't get Where's to the take monkey? everything. <laughs> oh, people love that monkey. I was it was a definitely a fun build, uh, and uh, yeah, that stayed in our office for quite a while. There was a lot of talking points on that one. People love to look at it go walk by it and talk about it. We'll, we'll definitely um, talk about that in a little more detail, but I think um, uh, to start off, uh, you are, are what they call a property master. I think some people don't know that that's the official title. I don't know, what what do you go by when you when you introduce yourself to people? Do you, do you refer to it as property master? That's the official proper title, props master, property master. Yeah, that would be it. And so what does what does a property master do for anybody who who doesn't know? Which is a very common question. People don't often think about our department when it comes to the industry and understand uh, the ins and outs of it. But basically, we are responsible for, uh, in general terms, whatever the actor will engage with uh, in the story. Uh, there'll be story points of them, you know, engaging with you know a prop, uh, so book or you know utensils or food. We do all the food. Uh, we also are responsible for all the firearm safety, a very poignant uh, subject matter these days in the press. Uh, uh, so, you know, that's our m 
we're, we blanket that responsibility as well. Um, and so whatever a story scripted action, then, you know, if they're interacting with the set dressing, that's different. But if there's a specific item to their character, glasses, watches, rings, we get into all that as well, character props. Wow, I didn't realize uh, food came under yeah, your no, neither did I <laughs> I've heard so many stories from uh from actors who talk about how they uh they they try not to eat so much because they have to do so many takes so, <laughs> so it's uh it seems tough but so so do you provide you provide like meals is that is that what you mean uh by dealing I've, with food I've done nine person dinner scenes I've done Thanksgiving dinners where we've had three or four turkeys for carving on the side and all the resets that evolved and all that food has to be handled, you know, in the food safe parameters, like you would at a restaurant. Um, you know, if they're going to handle the food, if they're going to interact with the food, sometimes it won't be scripted that they're going to eat, but the actor will engage with the food on their own volition. So you have to be prepared for that. And, and then you have to be able to reset that wide shot. You do the whole thing. Then you go into coverage. So every bite is taken over and over again. Hence the actors will eat too much. So <laughs> there's the glorious spit bucket. Uh, which we provide that nobody knows about. And I've had young actors be overzealous and find themselves in trouble 14, 15 hot dogs later. Yeah. Oh, God. They're like, no, I got to go method on this. <laughs> I just warn them. I say, you know, this director does a lot of takes. And they're like, no, it's okay. I'm just going to have some olives with my martini. And I buy one of those Costco size olive jars and it's gone in an hour. <laughs> oh, my God. You see the peaked faces on the set. <laughs> well, that is really cool. That is something I did not realize about what a property master did. So thank you for that. Um, and so some of it is uh, building things, building props and, and uh, making things uh, come to life. So how did you get into that? Is that something you've all, always tinkered with things? Or is that something that you just got interested in when you got into television? How did that start for you? Well, that's exactly right. I started tinkering with things. I was the kid driving my parents crazy, taking apart every alarm clock, seeing how it ticks. Uh, and, you know, little did I know at that age that that was what was driving me to my passion and my direction, which was being creative, being artistic, understanding the engineering and the function and the physics of things at an early age and finding an outlet for that. And growing up <clears throat> in the 70s and 80s, <clears throat> uh, Growing up at that time, you know, academia and, and the schooling education, maybe in, in my part of the world was very formal. So I didn't have a big outlet except for whatever I could do. So um, once I found a more creative outlet and found other schools to go to and then found other avenues. And then once I was in my career, there was a time where I left the, the set where I was working on set as the uh, dealing directly with the actors and facilitating the props to set. I stepped back and worked in a prop building shop and I said, listen, I have all these artistic abilities and skills. I've trained myself edu in, through education and on my own time. Uh, and now I want to apply those medium understandings of mediums and, and plastics and glues and sculpting and, you know, and all that stuff and find a way to, to be creative and build props. And so I, you know, apprenticed at a shop for a couple of years and then I left and went back to set and carried on from there to hone my skills through the whole department. And so you mentioned uh, working with the actors, uh, especially if they engage with some of the props that uh, that you were referring to. Um, but what what kind of other departments do you do you work with? I, I, I think you work with the art department. Is that correct? We're a branch of the art department. Okay, you're a so, branch of the art department. Yeah. Okay. So you'll have, the you'll have the production designer, art directors, right? And then around that, you'll have the set decoration department, the props department, right? You'll have... Even the paint department's involved with the art department. You know, you've got drafts people designing the sets, construction building those sets. But 
the direct art department is is you know we're branched off from that so we answer to the designer and uh and we correlate with the director and the producers to get on tone with the show or the the project and to stay in line with the style and aesthetic um and then stay true to the character if it's a character driven prop you know that's character specific Okay, so that's that's a good distinction to make for me, just to understand <laughs> the art department and the various levels underneath it. So, do you also work with the the, the stunt team if they have to handle certain <laughs> props that you create for the characters? Well, this show is a great example of that. So, you know, you'll have every character have a stunt double, and you know they'll have their demands. They'll understand how they'll block out a scene and pitch it to the producers and be like, okay, here's what we can do, and here what here's what we can afford. Here's what uh, the matrix of this fight is. Um, and if they're fighting with these guns or this pickaxe or, you know, this, you know, if they're holding on to the precious item that they have to rescue or, or steal, that item itself then, even though it's not a weapon, becomes a stunt object. So then we have to then correlate with a stunt coordinator and say, hey, what kind of rough and tumble you know, behavior is going to occur here? Uh, do I have to make this out of rubber, out of foam rubber? Does it have to be breakable so that it shatters or that it does break? Um, and so we coordinate with their efforts. They give us a previs uh, if we're lucky and have enough time to see their rehearsed, rehearsal videotape. And then we can see the actual action. And then they'll come to us sometimes and say, we want to add something. We want to add a sword. We want to add a, a, a metal pipe that bends, you know, because they, you know, they're, they're basically, you know, create crafting the scene with their stunt performers. And then we do fittings with the stunt performers. Okay, well, this has to go on your wrist. If this has to go on your head, we have to make it fit not the just the actor but it has to fit the stunt person as well which is always a close physical match but not an exact yeah that's that's really awesome because there's a lot of swords and <clears throat> hammers on supergirl uh so you definitely have to and guns you definitely have to to fit those to the needs of of the actors well now that we've kind of gotten an understanding about kind of what you do uh we have a lot of supergirl questions uh <laughs> oh, yeah. imagine imagine that as supergirl Shock podcast <laughs> Uh, that has a lot of Supergirl questions. So um, we like to ask people when they first come on Supergirl Radio, how you met the character of Supergirl? Have, had you always known about Supergirl or was was this a character you just uh, met when you started working on the show? Well, I mean, I knew of and I saw growing up the original Supergirl series. Um, and uh, of course, you know, Wonder Woman as well uh, with Linda Carter. Um, so the new series came about and uh, and obviously I met her once we I took on the project uh, when it was offered. Uh, but that's my that's my history. I'm old enough to know the originals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, you you'd be surprised. We talked to a lot of people who say Melissa Benoist is my favorite Supergirl, or or not just favorite, but first Supergirl. It's, yeah, the one that yeah. they know. Yeah. Yeah. So um so there uh, there is a you you're in, the show introduced a lot of people to the character of Supergirl. So. That's really, really cool. Um, right? Yeah, yeah. She is she is this generation supergirl, which is really pretty cool. Um, and so uh so how did you come to become the the property master of of Supergirl? Is it was this uh something that you sought out? Uh this was uh literally a call uh from out of uh left field a little bit. Uh I'd worked alongside Tyler Heron, the original uh, production designer for the show. Also he worked on Flash. Um, and we had worked together when we were very young in this business in our, uh, teens and in our 20, early twenties. And then we parted ways. And this was our coming together many moons later, as we worked our way up the ranks. And, uh, I was working across the street on the 100 and, uh, he offered me the show, uh, 
and I was in between shows at that time. The 100 had, had wrapped. And uh, uh, I took the offer. He just called me out of the blue and, and, and pitched it to me. And I said, you know, do you want to do a crazy big network television show called Supergirl? And I said, wow, all right. That's, I said, yes. And it was, a, you know, the first time I said yes to actually uh, prop mastering. That was my, this was my first prop mastering gig. Oh, that's so cool. Cause, cause I, I went through when we were going through the Instagram, uh, I noticed, uh, I noticed some stuff from fringe. So did you work on that show before? That and like was, what capacity? Yeah. So for me, that was my, that was a passion project for me. My wife and I were watching uh, the first season of fringe, uh, which was shot in New York. And then we found out, well, my wife, Patty, found out that it was coming to Vancouver and we lost our minds. I'm like, I'll sweep the floor. <laughs> I don't care. Do they need me to clean toilets? I'll get in there. Uh, but I knew that on my creative side, prop building wise, and for uh, the, the tone of the show, I wanted to put my touch on it in some capacity. So I actually started as the uh, truck supervisor, the truck person on that show, and then worked my way up from there to assistant prop master. Uh, uh, where I was prepping my episodes with another on set named uh, Gavin DeWest, and uh, we alternated episodes. Uh, uh, Rob Smith was the prop master. And so I got to be on set for most of it, and uh, if not all of it, but as assistant prop master and working with the actors, with uh, Josh Jackson and Anna Torv. And Josh and I known each other from way back, being teenagers, and, and you know, because he's a local boy, Canadian boy. So it was nice to sort of reconnect with him and joke around. That's so cool. I, I I am also a big fan of that show. So when I saw it, I was like, Fringe too? <laughs> yeah, Fringe was huge for, for me and Patty. Very, very big passion project. Well, uh, take us through uh, your process uh, going through Supergirl and doing your job. Because I'm curious what your what your, what your uh, day-to-day was, what your steps <laughs> were to, to get something. So so we let's pretend we just handed you the best... <laughs> episode script of supergirl that's ever been written and after you're done crying and laughing of course you 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 felt so many emotions when you read it we have just given you the best episode of supergirl (laughs) ever written what do you do with it uh well i mean if you want to talk about step-by-step process on uh breaking it down and and getting it ready uh to uh to, to go to camera you first start read the script get out your highlighter and start pulling out all the prop elements as they are scripted uh, obviously with the skills over the years, you learn to read between the lines. There's things that are not directly point by point saying, Hey, Supergirl picks up said prop and scene continues. Sometimes it's, it's nuanced within the writing and you have to sort of fill the, fill the page with that. So you pull all that information out, you do your breakdown, you then go into a series of meetings. Um, you pitch concepts. So you work with the designer, uh, and you, start to craft concepts for the next laser gun or the next thing that's, you know, the gadget, There's a lot of tech. And there was a lot of fabrication in that show. We were averaging anywhere from 12 to 20 builds per episode in eight days, which oh, is wow. tremendous and more than I've ever done. Um, so it, there was a lot of, you know, it's a couple of days I worked 36 hours straight, you know, sleeping in my office, um, <laughs> trying to make deadlines, you know, in the early days, it was, it was very challenging, you know, uh, for a myriad of reasons, but regardless, um, we start with that process. Uh, you start to pull out the information. You confirm that. You have other meetings that will affect things. You know everything from you know the stunt meeting to the background meeting because that'll affect your numbers and and who gets what and what does what. And then you disseminate all that information that it affects your decisions. It'll change your designs even because you have to make oh this is going to play day one. You really only have eight days to make it, or it plays in the back of the schedule. You have another week 
So maybe you keep the design as complicated, um, and especially for the fabrication stuff. The other stuff that you just gather, rent, you know, um, pull out of inventory, um, uh, that's fine. That still takes a lot of effort and work. On top of that, you have to start to design things that will stay in line with budget as well, creatively hit the tone of the show, be quality enough to make it onto the screen without embarrassing yourself and, um, and function for the actors. And, and sometimes, you know, you'll get some input from the actors uh, on occasion, be like, I want it to be this way, you know, um, and to help their scene, you know? So uh, you take all those influences and then you go through a series of meetings, um, get all approvals. You do a show and tell where once you've got everything gathered, even if it's still in prototype form or concept form or halfway built uh, or not painted yet, you still photograph it or bring it in and say, here's where we're at. Everybody looks at it, signs off on it, and you just forge ahead. Uh, I'm I'm just gonna take a guess that maybe one of the actors who had input on some things was maybe Jesse Rath. I can imagine him, he being somebody who would be like, "No, I think it should look like this." You know, Jesse was great. He always uh, was amazing with the props. Uh, you know, the famous flashback to uh, to where he was in you know a baseball uniform back in high school. All that bat flipping stuff he did practically. <laughs> really? He took, rubber, he took a rubber bat and he went out into the trailer and at home and he practiced he he was he would loved his craft and he loved uh the props and he was very supportive so i worked a little extra hard for him um you know him and kyler as well was tremendous oh yeah she she had, she had a lot of things to oh yeah a lot of gadgets well, yeah we reinvented her twice uh you know because <laughs> we wanted to keep her relevant and up to date and she was very much in tune and loves props and her son loves props and he got involved as well and pitched some stuff he would send me drawings from Kyler and of guns that he wants his mom to have. And that was, so <laughs> you know, as a parent as well, I'm like, oh, this is amazing. A uh, little Easter egg, if you notice that uh, on the mags of her laser pistol is, at the time, is right there, is her son's initials and his age at the time. Oh, that's so Aww. cool. Uh, so that was a little uh, homage that uh, Kyler wanted to share with her son. And so we did that and the producers didn't mind and and that's just a little Easter egg for the fans to know. That is so awesome. A little, little nice touch for him since he he did a, he did a lot of work for you. He, yeah, yeah he well, he's working hard. I, form, so <laughs> I loved it, and uh, and Kyler was super cool and supportive, and she was very involved, and she wanted me involved, and and the, I think the last time we re reinvented her character and we streamlined her down with the hand of the soldier, and so that she could just morph any weapon to her hand was just to make her slick, minimized, and without a chunky belt on her anymore, and keep her looking, you know, just a total, um, you know, Supergirl style, you know, slick suit, and then have that, give her some sort of superpower, even though she's human, you know? Right. So we gave her that green Martian technology and that gave her the ability to be just, just a kick butt and stand shoulder to shoulder with all those super aliens, you know? Yeah. It must be nice to be able to create any weapon that you want to. Yeah. <laughs> that seems handy. Yeah. yeah um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Well, um, and speaking of, of about building things, what what kinds of a, can we ask what kinds of equipment you use and and how do you how do you make those things? Yeah, we go every, every, we do a lot of different stuff. Uh, we had a shop in house that did a lot of uh, our work, uh, and then we did outsource a lot because they had machines better than I did. But three D printers. Uh, we I think I think I have a video of maybe the three D oh, yeah? printing. I, yeah. yeah, I think we can talk over. Yeah. Yeah, so we had one of those at that exact machine, and uh, unfortunately, my uh, 
my engineer guy didn't work out. So the other artists that were there didn't have the capacity to run the machine as far as knowledge. I was going to learn it, but then how was I going to, you know, run a 3D printer while running an apartment? Uh, but I was, <laughs> I was into it, but I just didn't have enough, not enough hours in the day. So we outsourced some of that stuff eventually um, uh, with a tremendous shop, Unlimited Design. My buddy Paco runs it and he did most of our 3D design, if not all our 3D design stuff. And that's why you see those amazing shapes and all that technology uh, that looked really kind of cool that we could achieve all those compound curves and complexity within a short timeline of, of creating something, you know, and within the budget. Uh, but then there's stuff like the calligraphy you see in the books. That's all hand done by uh, a builder in-house. Yeah, all that illustration, including the handwriting. Some of the handwriting was computer generated, so it looks handwritten, and then we would um, print it onto the paper. But the illustrations are all original and then copied in with the, the text font. All those illustrations are done by Ben Dubois, uh, my one of my in-house builders. He's a tremendous illustrator. So he took everything, did all those portraits, you know, of all those, you know, God killers, you know. Yeah, I would I would have a lot of questions for uh you said his name was Ben. Yes. Uh because I I love to translate uh Kryptonese. I try to do that anytime it shows up in a in a comic book and so uh I I enjoy doing that. Uh, but uh <laughs> but but that's a lot of that's a lot of Kryptonese in those journal pages. That would be overwhelming to me. So uh kudos to him to to put all of that in there. Well, that that all that stuff in those books was done by the art department themselves. So it'd be Ryan, Ryan and uh, Sally. We had all these great graphic designers. They're all part of the art department as well. So they had the cipher. They had the actual font in the computer. So it was a lot faster. They could type it, and it looks handwritten. So they had, it looks scribed, but it's actually computer generated. And, wow. And there's other stuff like you'll see uh, all of Lena Luthor's spell book. That's all hand done by Ben. That's really? all really. That's all Ben's calligraphy. That's wow. all his first, he has in penmanship like you wouldn't believe. I was about to say, that's, his, that's calligraphy? Wow, that's amazing. That's hand done, including the illustrations. Whoa, that yeah, is really neat. That book is priceless. That, that was a work of art by him. Well, I guess since we're talking about the props, let's just uh, keep keep going through our, our bucket list of things to ask you about because uh, right. we... We, uh, we have a lot of uh, questions about a lot of props. So I guess the first thing we should talk about is uh, the flying monkey, since uh, we previously mentioned that. So uh, what was what was building the uh, mechanical flying, the, to the toy man flying monkey? How, how did that go? Uh, so that started off with, okay, there are going to be a bunch of CGI monkeys. You know, it's, it's um, you know, it's the yellow brick road theme, right? It's, it's you know, um, it's the toy man backstory, which is amazing. Um, and of course he comes and attacks the DEO, has all these monkeys and then Supergirl comes and saves the day. But the director, uh, Glenn Winter was like, okay, we need a bunch of monkey debris on the floor. Cause we can't pay to CG all this stuff in every shot. Once it's, once we've won the day and we've see all the, the, the detritus on the floor. So, and then we need one hero monkey that obviously, uh, they're going to dissect in the lab later. So, uh, we, we got the image of what the CGI file was and we had to then sculpt to match the digital model. So the art department gave us two scale uh, printouts of how big it should be. And then quite literally we laser cut all the wings and glued all those pieces together. Uh, we did some 3D printed parts for the back to mount the wings together to the backing, but the whole chest cavity torso and the whole head is uh, like the shoulder caps and stuff were all, um, some were found parts, but the rest was all hand sculpted and then molded and cast so that we could repeat the shape over and over again and then all hand painted. 
Wow. Um, this wow. Specifically, I built the internal uh, mechanical guts for the arms and the whole torso <laughs> and all the wiring. And at one point, it did battery operate where the arm would move mechanically with servos. Uh, <laughs> that was supposed to be on cue when they were dissecting it in the lab. And <laughs> as it goes, when you when you put a prop in front of an actor, they you know they poke something and snipped a wire and then. That fun little extra bit didn't make it on camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you were able to make it work. Um, and I guess that does bring up a point that sometimes you also have to work with the special effects people. Um, that was not something that I, I guess I knew in my head, but I didn't think to uh, to to make that connection. So the, the Flying Monkey actually started with uh, special effects and CGI, and then you just adapted their design. Yeah, it's with visual effects, correct? Yeah, visual effects. Okay. Yeah, so they would all be the digital world. So they they create the model. They had that all orchestrated. And like, okay, well, th in this situation, instead of the prop master or the art department creating an, uh, a two D image, and then we'll create the three D model to match what the prop build will be, it was vice versa. They already had the model. We had to build based off of their concept. And and it, you know, as a project like that, it's super fun. I mean, flying monkeys. Yeah. I <laughs> and and there, the, that sequence when Supergirl and the DEO are fighting the flying monkeys is one of my all-time favorite sequences in the show. It has one my it has maybe my favorite Supergirl moment where she she heat visions one of the uh, the flying monkeys and it's the coolest thing. So uh, kudos to the flying monkeys. Um, I guess we can move on to uh, another uh, sort of movie themed uh, prop. <laughs> uh, you uh, contributed to the uh, Ghostbusters proton pack, so. Uh, will you tell will you tell us about this prop and and how you all created it? And this is one of my favorites because you know they, we, we would you know in in our private you know meetings in the production that's how we referred to it. It's like okay, we're giving we're reinventing the the Ghostbuster backpack for for this sequence. And of course, this prop has been recycled several times for different episodes. Um, you saw it um, with Kyler originally, where it was all black. It didn't have all this cladding on it. It didn't have the the donut, the glowing donut in the back um, <laughs> originally. Uh, but uh, this was, you know, version 3.0, I think. And so whenever somebody says, hey, you get to build your own proton pack and you get that challenge, go like, how can I make that cooler, you know, from the original Ghostbusters and how clunky it was to like, okay, I'm going to make, you know, a futuristic looking one, you know, something high tech technology that, uh, <clears throat> that our, uh, our Kaluan friend had involved with his technology, you know, then you're sort of <laughs> okay, maybe there's a little touch of Legion in here, you know, future tech. Uh, and it's always hard to do future tech on a budget, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a lot of fun with that one. And that was based off a real backpack. And then we clad it. We took um, the shape that we had already designed for those traps for when, when um, Magan was going to go trap uh, the, um, uh, sorry, my head's in a fog there. Uh, when we were fighting all the uh, evil guys from uh, the Phantom Zone, oh, all the, the right. Prime Phantom yes. and the Phantom. yeah, the Phantoms, yeah. yeah. We didn't see a lot of it, but there were little round discs that she put on the like oh, yeah. on the ground where she was supposed to trap, and then she got took out. So we we took that and we added it to the pack, so it sort of made sense that if those were traps for them, it goes into the backpack, kind of ah. like the Ghostbuster thing, you know, when they shoot it under the ghost. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> so yes, it of was, course. It was our version of that, and. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then, it, so, you know, a lot of hard work went into that. A bunch of 3D printing, obviously, for that section. The rest is just laser-cut plates. And then the whole gun is a 3D print, and then we did a mold, and we cast rubber versions of it. 
and so that we could fall around and fall down and do all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Very well, cool. It looks great. Uh, you mentioned some uh, Legion, Legion tech, some future tech. Uh, so it looks like we have uh, a, some scanner devices. Uh, yeah, will you that. tell us about those? Yeah, that's uh, that was brainy when uh, we did the uh, flashback episode or the looping episode with uh, with that uh, that the blue man, you know, trying to from the menagerie trying to trap our uh, superheroes. Oh, so that was yes, Maxim Torek. Yeah. <laughs> a little hilarious guy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we had to do um, some Legion tech, but of course, you know, in, in negotiating with the producers and how many times we were going to see it in the shot. I wanted to give it like a HUD display, so a CGI, a VisFX uh, screen. So every time you press the button, it would be a, a visual effect. But that, you know, that's eight thousand dollars every time you see the, the <laughs> thing on. So you can imagine on how many setups and shots that would be non-feasible. So, so you know, there you go. You got an edge lit acrylic screen with some etching in it. It's got Kryptonian writing in there, um, or Kaluan writing. I can't remember. I can't see it right there. Um, and then uh, I gave it sort of that sort of crosshair theme so that if he put it, you know, when he catches the ship in this space, then the button actually had two different color LEDs in it so that he could switch it from blue to red to sort of help tell the story when he did trap something or mark something and give the audience a sense of understanding that, you know, the device was working. Um, but always with the Legion tech, it has to be these beautiful curved shapes to match with all the geometry in the ship um and uh, and of course the theme of the of the white uh speaking of the legion cruiser uh you also uh sent us this uh image uh is uh, uh did you uh do something with the chair or what what, what did you want to talk about with the uh, legion cruiser uh, this is one of my favorite builds because it was the blood transfusion for these characters so uh the console was built by the construction department uh under guidance of the designer and then i built this cool add-on plate to it where you can see the blood, um, the fake blood uh, all inside this rectangular section. Um, and then we LED lit the, the pucks that look like they're cycling the blood out of one character and into another. Mm. So cool. Yeah, I guess you can't uh, just do a blood transfusion there on the set. I guess you do have to <laughs> fake that. That would make sense. Well, also they're superheroes, so it's like you have to have special technology to pierce yes. their skin. And right. <laughs> yeah, they're not just like anybody else's uh, skin. They do need special things. Um, and uh, you also sent us in this image, uh, and I couldn't remember what this was. Uh, what What is this, Matt? That? Oh, I didn't give you more than one? I'm sorry. That's, that's the uh, back of the Phantom Zone projector. Oh, this oh. Oh, so okay. <laughs> We're like, well, this stumps us. Well, I, I was like, I, I don't know what this is. Could you imagine did... if we knew no, like what super fans we'd be? <laughs> well, well it, it makes sense. We uh we don't normally see the back of the, the Phantom Zone projector. Normally we see the front, uh, which is what we're looking at here on the uh, on the video. So uh, I guess Matt, if you can walk us through the the Phantom Zone projector, how how does one create that? This was a great uh, project because when you look at the original comic books, and you want to always sort of you know, not sort of, you want to honor DC and their their legacy and their mythology and their anthology. So if you look at the original comic books, you'll see that the Phantom Zone Projector has a very basic shape uh, because it's a, uh, it's a comic book, so it's, there's not a lot of detail in the illustration at that time. So I wanted to go back to that and say, not everything has to be so complex. Not everything has to look so slick and high tech. That this Phantom Zone Projector, I wanted to do a callback to the original comic book shape and so that's why it has that very deliberate large ring shape and the tech in the back is sort of more sort of industrial and um, 
you know, a little you know, high tech steampunk, or if you want to call it, um, to give it that feel and honor the original DC uh, illustrations. Well, you did a great job because we could recognize it right away that it was the Phantom Zone projector because it does look like that in the comics. So uh, we we certainly appreciate that uh, for all the, the research that you do with that. Um, we do have some questions about the sciencey things um, <laughs> that uh, I mean, I guess everything that uh, was related to Supergirl had science in it some in some way with alien technology and That's futuristic. True, <laughs> <laughs> but we are specifically uh, wanting to know about the L Corp tech and some of oh. the things that uh, Lena Luther was uh, doing. So there's a 36-hour project. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't sleep for 36 hours trying to make that deadline. Uh, I literally walked those three uh, cylinders onto set, and we were installing them as they were lighting the set to shoot. Oh, gosh. Um, they had not seen, they'd seen the concepts and the development, but not the finished product until it literally landed in front of camera a half hour before we shot it. Um, so these were, uh, this is great. I mean, Lena's lab was a, a fun house of high tech. <laughs> right. So um, these are all done amazing work by a machinist, uh, Dennis uh, Breest, uh, and his new shop. And this is all machined aluminum, all turned on the lathe and then polished. Um, we put pneumatic actuators on the top cylinders. We ran the, the airlines through the boxes on the side that run iPhones for screens to show you the heart rate and blood pressure of the hearts. The prosthetics department did an incredible job on the hearts. We then ran some hoses uh, to the hearts to literally suspend it, but also to hide the airlines, which were puppeteered, as you can see the hole in the one stand in the back. The floor was elevated off the stage, so you can run the airlines down below the floor, and the puppeteer could then pump the hmm. heart to make it actually pulse. Whoa. And then uh, all the lighting was rigged with a set wireman, so he gave us the LEDs, and we put them in the rings top and bottom. And then they ran the power down through the base and they can control the lighting on the dimmer board that controls all the lighting on the set. And so they can change the lights on that. And then we put a retractable needle. You can just see it poking out at the top. That was on the pneumatic piston. And so at any point, the special effects department was rigged with a pressure tank and they could drop the needle and inject the heart with whatever Lena was injecting it with. Oh. And that heart turned cancerous and you know she was doing all those tests. And that was um, what I would call probably a feature level prop on a TV show. Yeah, no, that's that sounds very involved. It's that's so cool. <laughs> there we was actually there was puppetry on Supergirl. That's exciting. There was, oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, we actually have uh, Nicole Green, who's our science consultant here on Supergirl Radio, and she wants to know. She said, "I'm curious about the microscopes Lena uses <clears throat> in her science setups because some of these can be big dollars. Are these loaned from institutions, or is there any of the science equipment purchased, or are, is it primarily loaned?" The the really large one she used a lot that looked really custom. Uh, I, I had made uh, uh, that. That was all custom made. We used some we used some uh, parts from a microscope, you know, for the eyepieces and stuff. But everything else, those arms with the needles that came around, the acrylic base at the back, uh, th that whole structure is all custom fabricated. And then with laser cut plates to make it look sexy with some glowy buttons, and the keypads all light up. But that was all that was all custom made. Um, the other one that you may have seen, which ended up in the DEO, was an electron microscope. We actually bought the top half of a real electron microscope as a part for probably a few thousand dollars, and it weighed over 100 pounds. Oh, my gosh. And we just modified it onto an existing microscope to make 
you know, because an electron microscope costs tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, so we couldn't get one with the whole base and everything. So we just sort of fudged it together with parts, real parts, and made sort of a more streamlined version of it. That's so cool. That is good to know. We had questions about that uh, before, uh, you know, whether you used real microscopes. And if you did, what did you do with them after the, the episode was shot? <laughs> I think some of our scientist listeners were a little jealous of some of the equipment it looked like you guys had. So. <laughs> we had the usual. We had the standard microscopes there, you know, whenever we wanted to just look at a slide. But, yeah, there was a few special ones. Uh Nicole in the chat said, I've been wondering what model that this was for years. My soul can finally rest knowing it is an original concept. <laughs> Answering some uh, simmering, long simmering questions. <laughs> I'm just glad it passed as a real thing. What's something you look forward to waking up to every morning? Is it coffee? Your pet? Morgan, do you need coffee to deal with your pets? When I'm sort of half asleep and cats are meowing at me aggressively, I'm like, mornings, man. Well, you should start your mornings with me undies, and they're ridiculously soft undies with fun prints that make picking out underwear actually enjoyable. Me undies makes the softest fabrics you've ever put on your body, so you can sit on your couch all day, or you can go out and live your comfiest life. And once you try their undies, socks, bralettes, loungewear you'll never go back and the cool thing about MeUndies is that they have a nice size range they go from extra small to 4x and they have things in all kinds of colors and also fun limited edition prints limited edition you gotta jump on that while they got them you can't you can't think about it too long you can't be like I'm gonna do a pro con list about whether or not to get this these prints guess what they're gone <laughs> <laughs> yeah I am really excited about trying the PJs being a good sleeper and having a good night's sleep is very good for your health. So I'm all the time tracking my sleep to see how good my sleep is. And I like a comfy PJ. A couple of days ago, I was wearing their lounge pants all day. Don't tell anyone. Because <laughs> I work from home and who's going to stop me? They also have some things for your pet. Perfect for the lab cats. <laughs> They'll love it. <laughs> so you can sign up for their free to join me undies membership where you get a monthly subscription that sends new styles right to your door. Plus, you can enjoy discounted pricing, free shipping, and exclusive early access to new launches. Me Undies has a great offer for Supergirl Radio listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. Me Undies also has this promise. If you're not satisfied with any product for any reason, you can return your order for a full refund within 45 days. To get 15% off your first order and free shipping, go to MeUndies.com Supergirl. That's MeUndies.com Supergirl. And speaking of some technology that Lena Luther had, this is something that we want to know about. We're, uh, we're not sure if this was all CGI or if you actually built it, uh, but Hope the AI. One that's uh, near and dear to our hearts. We, we are big fans of, uh, of Hope and her murderous tendencies wanting to, to kill Supergirl. Uh, so was this an actual prop or was this all visual effects? Well, what part do you think was a prop and what part do you think was vis effects? I'm well, guessing that the base is the prop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be correct. So that was basically our version of L Corp's Alexa. Um, oh. And so that's basically a stylized puck shape with some cool, you know, counter diagonal um, LED lights with some diffused uh, acrylic stripping. And then the beautiful work of our VisFX department uh, doing that amazing hourglass. Yeah, we're big so fans cool. of Hope. <laughs> uh, and speaking of some uh, Luther uh, 
uh, equipment or technology. Uh, we mm -hmm. also wanted to know about the uh, the Lexo suit. Um, did did you all build a? I, I'm assuming, but uh, you'll have to answer the question. Uh, is the full suit something you did, or did you just build some pieces that they could wear? So the only real parts of the suit that uh, that existed are what you're seeing. The whole rest of it is VisFX. Oh wow, that makes uh, sense. So once again. Uh, the arm is based off their digital model. Um, and then, of course, we took some liberties. There wasn't, you know, you can see where the design is really refined and where the glove is maybe a little clunkier than I wanted it to be. Once again, time and money being the, the biggest, um, you know, uh, hurdle. Uh, and then, uh, so that whole uh, forearm piece is 3D printed um, and painted. And then we put on some accents. And then on the underside, we actually, in, uh, after the 3D print, we retrofitted um, a ratchet strap system for uh, motocross forearm bracing, wrist bracing, uh, to create a wire tension system inside so that you could sleeve your arm in, and then you just ratchet turn the, um, the disc on the bottom, and you can fit it to uh, more than one arm, you know, so hence Lex's arm or the stunt person. The Lexo suit is so cool. So thank you for <laughs> explaining that. Uh, I guess we'll keep going with the Luther-related items. Um, well, actually, I'll add to the suit. Um, yeah. They asked me twice to build it, and uh, and I gave them the time and the money quote. <laughs> that that turned them away both times. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, mm, never mind. <laughs> it, it would be equivalent to the Adam suit. Uh, oh. If you can oh. appreciate the Adam suit, uh, that took, you know, I don't know, five, eight months to build and wow. hundreds wow. of thousands of dollars. So, you know, uh, it's a matter of playing off, you know, is the character going to stay long enough? And, you know, is a CG cheaper than the practical and then the maintenance on the practical, you know, CG suits don't break. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, you can retool those any way you want to. Um, well, that was very cool. Uh, well, we were curious about the Luther uh, courtroom sketches. Uh, <laughs> uh, could you explain uh, the the process behind these, who who drew them, and uh, how, how you all go about uh, uh, creating these? So once again, another uh, illustration. I can't recall who illustrated these. I don't remember if it was Ben or not. Uh, I apologize for that. But uh, this comes with a lot of direction, right? They want to know exactly what angles they want the photos to be uh, portrayed as. So they'll, you know, they'll have the actors in the scenes, and then, or they'll they'll pose the actors with a stills photographer and be like, "This is exactly." And this is all from the director's direction through the production designer and art directors. We want these exact frames of illustrations of the sketch artists in the courtroom. So they're they're very premeditated and they're very styled and designed so that you get the exact tone right so that when they see the images we're invoking the right reaction i like the the little touch of <clears throat> handcuffs on little, little. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so those are very cool and um there's also another lena luther portrait uh, that we've always had questions about uh because in the story james olsen has taken a picture of lena luther sleeping and we always thought that was uh maybe borderline a little bit creepy uh, so, so, uh, so we just wanna... like how immaculate she looks while she, she's sleeping. She, this she is really exactly does. how I look as as I'm sleeping as well. <laughs> uh, I can't remember exactly the storyline to this photo. I believe it was a gift, right? Yes. Um, yes. And we unwrapped it in that beautiful gray fabric. Um, and I think it's because he's uh, a shutterbug uh, and a and a and a world renowned photog that uh, he just wanted to capture her beauty. Um, 
and uh, and honor her. And so that's uh, and that's I think that's where it comes from. So that was once again a very very well orchestrated photo shoot with a stills photographer, and uh, and this is what they ended up with. And for me, it, I wasn't involved at all except for framing it and uh, and wrapping it up. Gotcha, gotcha. Ah. It really is a beautiful photo. It's a great photo. We, we, ju we just like to to imagine what it was like for James to get right up and close to her while she slept. <laughs> the he, flash is so quiet. Yeah, he did not <laughs> wake her up. She must be a heavy sleeper. Those guys with those cameras. <laughs> well, thank you for answering that question because that is something that we uh, talk about a lot. Um, okay, so what else do we need to, uh, hopefully we can get through some of these uh, Kryptonian things pretty quickly. Um, the staff of Kolar, oh. uh, that's that's a pretty big prop. So Such what was cool involved in, uh, in that? That was a tremendous build. Uh, um, the shape was so organic um, and then we had to find a way to hide power and lights inside it to illuminate all the crystals above. So, you know, once again, that's sort of a rig where you, and of course it has to be, you know, green Martian technology. So it has to have a certain aesthetic and tone. So that was actually um, all uh, aluminum bent into shapes uh, and then aluminum pipe bent. And then uh, we shrouded it in a really hard Bondo and sculpted that Bondo into that shape. And then we made a cut and a divide in the middle of the staff with a, with a set screw so that you could sleeve apart the shaft of it and access the batteries. And what we did is once before we um, tr built the crystals, the whole head of the crystals were a mix of real crystals, uh, black sand and 3D printed crystals. So we get enough repetition of shape. Uh, we glued all that onto a sphere that was clear and we trapped a flashlight at the base uh, that we then re we jury rigged a wire tether down to the base uh, through the shaft that we could access the battery separately without taking apart the top. And once we anchored the crystals in the top, we then closed that sort of claw cage of tangs around it that were just aluminum, so they were bendable without snapping or breaking any of them. Wow. The staff of Kolar really is cool. And I think I uh, said Kryptonian before because I, I was looking ahead to some things, but this is actually uh, Green Martian uh, technology. So I just wanted to clear that up. But yeah, so the staff of Kolar made a lot of, uh, had a lot of screen time in, in season three. So I'm glad we got to hit that. Uh, but to get to the Kryptonian things now, uh, the Sword of Juru, uh, wow. could, you, could you tell us uh, about this? <clears throat> That was in a collaboration once again with um, the comic book release. So working in conjunction with uh, DC and they had that character with that specific shape sword in, in their mythology. So we, you know, the designer, Tyler, wanted to honor that. So he said, make the sword like the comic book. So it's got that crazy hook in it. And uh, we um, literally machined that out of aluminum and then did the same thing again with bamboo. So we took literally, in order to make stunt versions, we took bamboo flooring and planed it and machined it and lathed it and, and on a three, three axis lathe, uh, all the, de the design back into it. And then the hilts and the grips and the pommels are all um, 3D prints then uh, molded and cast into rubber so that we could then trap the bamboo blades into the rubber hilts and they'd be stunt safe. Wow. And then of course, there's the one aluminum master, which is what you're looking at there. And then once again, uh, a 3D printed piece with uh, the Kryptonian um, messagery uh, on there. And then a custom, I had a custom leathersmith uh, friend of mine do the uh, scabbard. 
Do you do you uh, recall what the Kutti says? I guess Ooh. I'm lazy. I don't want to have to translate it, but I, I was just wondering if you remembered off the top of your head. It does say. I don't, sorry, I don't remember it off the top of my head. It does say something poignant uh, to uh, the world killer. Okay. All right. Ah. I'll, I'll I'll have to go through there and and translate it and see if I can Very figure cool. that out. Um, and so we do have some more Kryptonian things. So when a car goes uh, back to Argo in season three, she is given a uh, a box from uh, her mother, and it has, I believe, a Daressa plant inside of it. Uh, could you uh, guide us through the creation of the uh, the box? Uh, this is something that's that sort of kind kind of fell into more into my purview of design and finish. Uh, I want the I didn't want to just give her a flower like hand her a fl single flower as she left Argo. So uh, we found this beautiful little box and then we clad it with the right color tone, laser cut pieces of gold. We put it you know in this beautiful little jar with with like these those clear blue Orbeez beads like water cells for the flower inside that little inside that little vial. We found that beautiful kind of alien organic blue fabric to back it with to complement the petal uh, colors. And then the uh, symbols is something that I helped generate with the art department uh, to sort of be iconic for the citizens of Argo. So if you notice, people in the background wore them like crests on their on their shirts. And um, it has a saying that reflects the uh, the motto of Argo on it, something about the light. I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact quote. But we then translated that into Kryptonian and put that there and then put the symbol of Rao uh, on those crests and uh, put them on their on their costumes and put them on the box here. So it may, felt very ceremonial, very, very much a heartfelt gift as opposed to, you know, just a flower in hand. Oh, so that's what that is on the glyph. I didn't yeah. know that that was the symbol of Rao. Okay, very cool. So cool. Well, that just gives me more Kryptonese to go through and translate. Did you <laughs> also have- a beautiful box. <laughs> <laughs> it is a beautiful box. Did you have to also build, cause there is a Daressa tree, like a Daressa plant in uh, Laura's house. Is that something you also had to, to create? So that was a combination between greens and set deck. And then yes, they had to build that tree. Wow. <laughs> it was pretty big. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Supposed to grow as she did and it grew pretty, pretty tall. <laughs> um, and uh, you also created some uh, Kryptonian books uh, with, with more Kryptonese, but uh, could you tell us uh, a little bit about these different books? Uh, yeah, this is a great book. It got replayed quite a bit. I, I'm very happy for that because we spent a lot of money on that book. The pay, the, the covers are 3D printed. Uh, the spine uh, is something that you can you know buy at the craft store, but it's not a very less conventional modular spine you can build books with. And I just felt it great in tone with um, the color theme and uh, uh, of a Kryptonian technology. Uh, and then inside are all uh, acetate pages that are clear foil. Uh, with chrome writing that's all heat set chrome onto acetate. And I had to ship that out to another province to get that made. And Whoa. that is all real. Uh, Ryan, once again, helped with, because this was originally the Kryptonian dictionary that Mix Pitalik used um, in, the, uh, in the fortress um, to challenge uh, Supergirl. And then we recycled it a few times into, you know, a, a mythology prop that would sit there on a cradle in the, in the fortress of solitude. Um, but that was the Kryptonian dictionary uh, when she was challenging him in the final act. Uh, and it only showed up on screen for, you know, a mixy second. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, but the, the writing is all definitions of DC characters. It's actual real <laughs> alphabetical descriptions of DC characters. You have to put something in there and you can't just put gibberish so you get called out. People will freeze frame and 
Yeah. Okay, you're not saying anything. So uh, Ryan wrote, uh, retyped out all these DC character descriptions on every page. Yeah, I, I remember being jealous that he had a book of like Kryptonese uh, <laughs> that I wish I could have had for myself. So that is really, really cool. Um, uh, were, were you going to say something, Morgan? No. <laughs> oh, okay, I didn't want to interrupt. Um, I guess since we are a little bit pressed for time, since we've talked about some of the Kryptonian stuff, and since you missed, uh, since you mentioned the fortress, I was curious about the the differences between the cosmic hammer and the solar hammer because there are two different hammers, and I was wondering if you could kind of guide us through the uh, differences there. Oof, uh, I couldn't tell you the differences. I only got involved with the solar hammer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that was this is uh, this is our crazy invention for that crossover when we were uh, then we introduced Superman and Lois um, and so uh, unfortunately uh, my fabricator for 3D printing was not available for this project so uh, I had it machined original all out of solid aluminum uh, so the original hammer is beautiful real and oh there there I am middle of the night rigging the lighting <laughs> I think I'm about 24 hours into my day here. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I'm really proud of that one. That, that one came out really well. And um, I knew I was going to get heat online for all the Thor fans. Um, <laughs> but, you know, some of the other fans that were so in love with it that wanted to cosplay it and build it for Halloween, I sent my specs out, as you can see on my Instagram, to help those folks out because, you know, I know that they want to build this stuff too and run around and have fun so they could build it to scale. That's so um, cool. But we had to make rubber ones, and that was a challenge as well. Um, and so it glows in post with CGI help. Uh, but unfortunately, the actress is so so petite, she could not hoist the real one. Uh, <laughs> the real one got very little screenplay, um, and the rubber ones did all the work. That's so funny. Well, that's awesome that you, uh, you're you helping cosplayers out, because I, I know sometimes... I have cosplayer friends who who build things out of uh, you know foam armor and things like that, and so it 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 helps them if we if they actually have sex. Yeah, <laughs> that is really really helpful. Uh, I guess uh, let's see what else. Uh, Morgan, I, I know you wanted to. Uh, sorry, I want to I want to skip to one that's near and dear to my heart since we're okay. getting a little short on time, which is the Rama the Ramacon Rama cards. Yes, let's get, <laughs> let's get to that. <laughs> I saw this in the episode and I was like, well, that's incredible. Yeah, we, we made custom cards for their poker table. They were, you know, gods around the table playing playing uh, a godlike game of, uh, of poker and all the gold coins all have his face on them. Oh my yeah, gosh. We had them custom 3D printed with his portrait on them. And so they're playing with gold coins with his face uh, as well. That's hilarious. Now, did did the actor, did Mitch Pelegi, like, just take a couple of those on his way out? Because if I, if I had coins with my face on them, I wouldn't be able to resist. <laughs> you know, if, 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 I was looking the other way if he did. Uh, and uh, and he, uh, we, we made thousands of them, so, I'm, you know, oh we wouldn't gosh. be able to, I'm sure. Did but you have, cool. like, was the, the were the cards, like, a full set? Did it have, like, yeah. all the characters on them? Or was it just, was it just him? Was it just Ramakon? Was it just yeah, Ramakon? No, we did the full set, and then we put him uh, in that specific one, yeah. So, oh, that's so funny. Uh, that was a fun one to do. That was a funny little gag. And then, yeah. And all those coins weren't painted gold. They were all gold leaf by hand. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that if we could have from the set, we would we would take the Rama cards. <laughs> I would I would have stolen the Rama the cards. <laughs> and uh, speaking of that, uh, Mark in the chat says uh, asks, did you personally keep anything from Supergirl? Did you take anything with you? You know, after all those years of all that hard work, um, 
I, uh, I had my, my team maybe cast me a, a, an extra thing or two out of the shop just so I could have it uh, on my shelf uh, to remind me of uh, all the hard work. Uh, so I might have a duplicate of the Allstone sitting in my uh, curio nice. cabinet. Uh, <laughs> we were molding and casting them anyway, and some of them don't pass the cut for uh, making the camera. They get a bubble trapped in them or there's a, there's a flaw, a bad seam. So good enough for me for a keepsake, but not good enough for camera. Yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not going to want to keep those. So exactly. they, they want to keep the ones that worked and were on screen. Uh, so that is really cool. Uh, well, I guess if, if you have time, we're going to hit some real quick questions to try to see if we can get everything in. Uh, so if we want to treat this as kind of a lightning round, uh, Donna uh, says, Melissa said in an interview, she ended up taking home all the little dinosaurs that popped up on the Casco set. <laughs> Were you a part of setting them out, and how did how did it start? Do you know how many she ended up with? Oh, as, as she's a huge fan of dinosaurs, uh, there was all kinds of silly stuff that happened. We, you know, Kevin Smith directing, uh, we went out and bought a whole bunch of Nerf guns, and we had Nerf gun fights on set with the cast to keep them uh, distracted and entertained for in between setups. And and then yes, and then the dinosaurs came out for some reason. I think we had them somewhere, sort of dressed on somebody's workstation. I think in the DEO. They were sitting on computer consoles and stuff, and so, you know, she would she would come by and yank one, and uh, and so they, you know, we knew what was up. So I think between that deck and and props, uh, we had some fun with that. And I'm, she was welcome to take as many as she liked. She, <laughs> I mean, the strangest thing about this show, she's the number one on the show, deals with so little props, right? Oh, true. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had very little interaction with her. I had very little need to interact with her because anything she was dealing with prop wise was. I mean, when she was Kara in in Catco, and but it was you know notebooks and 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 reporting, but uh, not as involved as everybody else. Very strange to be on a show where the number one is so propless. Well, speaking of that, uh, Claudia asks. Uh, not sure if this is under Matt's purview, but who paints the in process painting in Kara's loft? We we saw many scenes where uh, it looked like there were uh, easels in Kara's uh, apartment. So uh, did did you have anything to do with those? Uh, when we did engage with it, I would be involved with um, the canvas and 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 the brushes and stuff like that. But uh, um, art department would get involved with the paintings and set deck as far as because mostly dressing. So. Uh, yeah, that is that stuff in process. She didn't engage with it very much, and when she did, it was more just play it, play, play the camera to her angle. Let's not see what she's doing, because obviously, you know, we don't want to get into trying to create a masterpiece on the canvas over time, and and uh, and so yeah, the very little involvement for me, unfortunately, with that. We didn't. Yeah, that, that story didn't really build. Yeah, <laughs> the Danvers sisters really like to paint. Uh, we found it seems out that way late in season six. Alex is a fantastic painter. <laughs> So, uh, so good to know about uh, the Danvers sisters and their painting. Uh, and uh, just, uh, we'll probably, this will be the last question Then we're going to play some real quick snap judgments. Uh, Mark also asks about the totem, since you mentioned that in season six, uh, were they designed to fit together and actually form the, uh, the all stone, I guess is what he's saying, uh, for the keep away fight in episode 19, or was there a spear, uh, a separate thing from, uh, from the individual totems? How did, how did they all fit, uh, actually fit together to make the all stone? Yeah, so you can see on my Instagram, you can see the engineering side of it. So when we did the the, the new Mixie episode in that final season, and he sang the song about it, um, uh, that's when I flagged it with the producers. And I'm like, okay, so what is this uh, final story arc over the past, last seven or eight episodes uh, about this Allstone? Uh, and then they're like, oh, yeah, we should talk about that. And so we had a you know quick meeting 
just with um, the producers and, and myself about what does this want to be? How does it want to function? And they had a very specific idea that there's these totems, these specific uh, innocuous objects throughout the world that would morph into uh, a crystal with a certain trait. Uh, and so uh, once we discerned what those, you know, seven objects were, I believe it was, uh, I had to reverse engineer it. So we had to go back on how many of the crystals they were, how many episodes we had left. I had to realize that it had to come up with a final shape that even though it would morph into a single crystal, we had to have all these shards. Uh, so we literally reverse engineered uh, a three-dimensional geometric shape that we could piece out. So there were these uh, five spires that split off the top. And if you bring them together, they create the top half. Uh, the bottom was like a flower-shaped uh, base. And then the core in the middle was trapped by all the spires. And that was all the elements of the shards. So that geometrically, and mathematically, it comes together as one piece in real life, physically, you know. So and was the, the love cool. totem the base? Is that, that the flower that, base? That's its original totem shape. And then it morphs into uh, the, the purple base, which was more geometric in shape. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah so if, you to, if you go to the IG, my IG, you can see uh, the computer renderings of how it splits apart. Yeah, sometimes on screen, it, 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 we, we don't get that close-up of how everything works. Uh, so it's nice to hear the, the description of all of that because it's really interesting. I hate to say it, but a lot of times my biggest fan is the editing room floor. <laughs> the, the story isn't told always by the prop, I'm, I'm afraid. Uh, it's yeah. not always the Lord of the Rings. It's, uh, it's, it's about the story of the characters. Sure. So you know, they only have so many you know, times to do an insert. Well, it's cool. it's cool to know that there's so much uh, thought that goes behind all of these things and that you put meaning into them. Uh, we, we really appreciate that. Um, Thank you. Well, uh, Morgan, uh, shall we uh, make yeah, some snap judgments? We'll do some quick snap judgments. In the game of snap judgments, each person is presented with two options, but must only choose one. First instincts are recommended and explanations are unnecessary. Okay, so our first snap judgment is which would you rather use if you were in trouble? The cosmic hammer or the solar hammer? Solar hammer. I mean, I think I've got to go solar hammer too. That thing lights up. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The, so the solar hammer, hammer does uh, have a little bit of a, a cooler look to it. The cosmic uh, hammer is, is a little similar. I believe this is the cosmic hammer that we have. Uh, but I think since Matt is here with us, I think I'm going to go uh, solar <laughs> hammer as well. Uh, okay. Which Kryptonian book would you rather read? Thomas Coville's Kryptonian, uh, Kryptonian journal or Selena's ancient Kryptonian book? Selena's book. Yeah, that book is pretty cool looking. I think Selena's book, uh, it, it has a cooler shape and uh, she probably has some like weird ancient spells or something. It might be a little <laughs> more dangerous to, to read uh, Selena's. Actually, though, Thomas Coville had a lot of good Kryptonian notes. He was he, very into he it. He did. He did. He's, he's got a lot of probably like a, a lot of rants in there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A lot of railing against the system and stuff like that. <laughs> that you also have the recipe for the Haranel so that you can make world killers. So. Oh, that, yes, that true. too. So also yeah. dangerous. <laughs> I guess really dangerous. You go, you're going to you're going to cause trouble. I I might say Thomas Coville's journal. I think I'm going to go I think I'm going to go Tico's journal too on that one. <laughs> <There you go>. <laughs> <laughs> it's dangerous and it's a little bit entertaining. 
<laughs> All right. Our last snap judgment. Which piece of art would you more like? Uh, would you be more likely to hang up in a, on a wall in your house? The courtroom sketch of Lena Luther, or James Olson, uh, James Olson's photograph of Lena Luther while she's sleeping? Oh wow! Uh, I would say the portrait. Oh, the the courtroom, uh, the sketches, or the, no, the actual no, photograph? No, the 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 Sleeping Beauty. Yes. yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a little creepy, but I might say the 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 portrait of Lena sleeping as well. It's it's a it's a really well done shot, but I like the courtroom sketches. There's just like <laughs> they're telling me a story. There's there's handcuffs. There's drama. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so either either way, uh, Lena Luther just really she is her own piece of art. I feel like <laughs> no judgments on your snap judgments. Snap judgments have no right or wrong answers. So <laughs> thank you for playing with us. Well, that is going to do it for our interview with Matthew Wilson. Thank you so much for joining us on Supergirl Radio and talking talking us through some of your builds and uh, what you do. Uh, I actually learned a lot. So I have much more of an appreciation of what you do and uh, the the teams that you work with. Uh, that I think are so important to, to any production, but especially Supergirl that sometimes don't get the attention of, that I think they should get. Uh, so I really appreciate you coming on and spending time with us. Um, how can our uh, listeners and viewers uh, keep up with you on the internet if they have any more questions? Well, I'm, uh, I'm at, at Madzar uh, on Instagram. There, hey, there you go. Um, you can check out, uh, I've posted a lot of the builds on there from the show. Obviously we're done now, but uh you know, you, you want some insight on some of your favorite stuff, you'll probably find it there. And uh, and if I catch your comments, uh, I tend to respond uh, on, on my free time if you have uh, a question. Yeah, your Instagram is uh, one of my personal favorites because uh, it has so many uh, great uh, pictures and information about the show. Well, I guess we are going to kick you out of here, uh, <laughs> but thank you for spending time with us. Thanks and, again, yeah. Yeah, it's it's been really fun to talk about this with you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for your time. All right. We are going to kick Matt out and uh, I'm going to change my uh, background here um, so that we can adjust that. And uh, I guess, Morgan, we should uh, get to some DC TV podcasts and Supergirl radio plugs. Who do we have? I guess we should. We should. I found (laughs) the clip. So let's get to that. If you would like to contact Supergirl radio, you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 678-718-7252. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Podchaser, and Spotify, where we also have a Spotify playlist that includes music featured on and inspired by the CW Supergirl TV series. We are listed on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans. If you like what we do, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy our Supergirl radio live streams, make sure to subscribe to the DC TV Podcast YouTube channel and hit that notification bell to get notified when we go live and wired. DC TV Podcast also has a T Public store, so if you are in need of new DC TV related t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, onesies, mugs, notebooks, pillows, or stickers, go to supergirlradio.com and click on the T Public store link at the top of the page. Supergirl Radio, Superman and Lois Radio, the Flash Podcast and Legends of Tomorrow Podcast by 
Light and Podcast Bad Form and Podcast 2 And Titans and Doom Patrol Podcast just for you Justice League Dark Podcast Green Lantern Podcast Star Girl Podcast Strange Adventures Podcast and finally my favorite of the bunch DCTV After Dark where you're allowed to say and speaking of DC TV podcast T Public Store, as we just were, uh, <laughs> we have some prop related merch. Yeah, we have some uh, Guardian, some James Olsen Guardian. Got to clarify because there's multiple Guardians on Supergirl. Uh, we've got some uh, James Olsen Guardian uh, design. Uh, well, a design. There's a Pop Funko version of him in the store. And uh, we also have some uh, Cara Danvers glasses. If you uh, want to uh, check that out. So some things from the show that are on uh, some of our designs in the DCTV podcast, T public store. So if you'd like to support us uh, that way, you can get some uh, cool new stuff. And we would like to thank our Legion of the super sponsors. If I can find my graphic <laughs> here uh, for support, supporting us through the Supergirl radio Patreon. These people are Michael, Sam, Anne Marie, Yvonne, Quinn, Nicola, Leslie, Abby, Ermgard, Miriam, Cherie, Donna, Nicole, Lizeth, and Faith. If you would like to become a Supergirl radio Patreon supporter or a Legion of super sponsor, as we call them, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Supergirl radio. We have four tiers of monthly memberships, and we appreciate you helping us keep the podcast lights on. Uh, and the Supergirl Radio Patreon is, is some bonus stuff. You get your you get your free Supergirl Radio episode every week. But if you want some behind the scenes, uh, cool <laughs> cool uh, looks at our our process, uh, and sometimes do you want, do you want me complaining to Rebecca about my cats? Okay, occasionally <laughs> we'll just be what I think is talking, and then she'll be like, "Great, we've got the Patreon." I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> Oh, I wasn't performing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, sometimes if you if you like the lab cats, we do occasionally have a lab cat story uh, that gets uh, re recounted on the Patreon. So if you want some extra Supergirl Radio stuff, uh, the Supergirl Radio Patreon is where you can get it. Well, if you want to keep up with me, you can follow me on Vero, which is a social media platform that I like at, uh, at Derby Kid. That's where you can find me there. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at the Derby Kid, and I have a personal YouTube channel uh, that's uh, at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. I'm still going through. I know I say it every week, and it feels like I've been saying it for 10 years, but I'm still going through the uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, top critics negative reviews of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. That's still a project that I'm going through, and uh, I'm getting I'm, – I might be close to halfway, I think. That's um, it? So I'm, so, so I'm I'm getting I'm getting there one week at a time, uh, but it's a uh, it's 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 becoming quite the journey. So I'm learning learning so much. I'm really digging into it. Uh, so if you want to go uh, check that out with me over on my personal YouTube channel, I do a live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on Sunday nights. So if you want to uh, come talk about film criticism and um, art criticism on a more uh, a, a broader topic or just batman v superman dawn of justice if you're into that you can come hang out with me we can talk about those things and uh have a good time also i wanted to uh just kind of plug this uh for my friend mike uh because uh mike who uh, is a big dc fan he actually got me into the team titans back in the day he, <laughs> he, he let me borrow a bunch of his comics uh, from like the the 80s and 90s and I just devoured them he's partially the reason why I'm such a big fan of Donna Troy is because I read all those Teen Titans uh, comic books and uh, so 
my good friend Mike is raising money for uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Oh, uh, so that's something so cool. That he's, he's sort of taking that on. So if you would like to help support uh, Mike, the uh, in the video description, there is a link to his fundraising page uh, if you want to go support a good cause. So uh, Mike is trying to do a, a big fundraiser, and so I wanted to uh, help support him in that way and uh, just spread it around. So if you want to uh, support a really great foundation, we, uh, a foundation and charity, we, we did raise money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation a couple of years ago for DCTV Podcast, but if uh, you want to keep giving so that they can uh, make some dreams come true uh, for some kiddos, that's a great uh, charity to donate to. Yeah, that's a great cause. Yeah, I'll definitely be checking out that uh, that link. <laughs> Um, oh, me. Yes. Uh, where, 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 where can we find you, Morgan? You can, oh, this, this whole thing. Uh, you, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mojotastic. You can also find me as a co-host on the Legends of Tomorrow podcast. We just, um, we just released our episode um, for uh, covering the sort of the break. Of the, the I think it's the anti-penultimate episode or anti-penultimate episode i believe yeah i guess episode the, before the the penultimate one. to the penultimate yeah 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 i so, think that's an actual term we discovered it, it is yeah yeah we we found that one we like to use it when it's possible <laughs> so so there's a there's a little break for the olympics um so we will be uh taking a little bit of a break until the show comes back at the end of the month uh, but until then, if you're a Legends of Tomorrow podcast Patreon supporter, we are planning to uh, to get some stuff up on the Patreon. So this could be, if you're not, it could be a great time to join while you're going through withdrawal. Mm -hmm. um, and for DC TV After Dark, I will say there is a date on my calendar. Ooh, it is this month. <laughs> so, so our mysterious posting schedule perhaps mayhaps one day you'll be walking in march early march perhaps and and you'll look at your phone and it'll say dc tv after dark has a new episode and you'll say i'm still subscribed to that show and that <laughs> is how you'll see that it is back <laughs> that is very exciting looking forward to whenever that happens <laughs> um also you should tell a amy from the uh, legends of tomorrow podcast that uh i listened to y'all's uh, most recent episode and she suggested to uh ask about the stunt team and so that's why yes uh, it was we a did great that. i for it's it's i'm amazing that you remembered and i on the podcast <laughs> I, I said to her that is an amazing idea we should definitely do that <laughs> And then out the other ear and into the ether. But, <laughs> I, but I listened you, to it and I was like, oh, I'm going to add that. It's a great question. Great. So <laughs> thank you, Amy, for uh, providing a good question because it, it was good to ask about how the stunt team, uh, uh, you know, played a part in uh, what what the, the props people do in the art department. Yeah, it wasn't one that I had thought of either, but I was like, oh, yeah, they probably would have be able to interact would have to interact with the props they absolutely would because uh sometimes when you're you know fighting aliens or or phantoms or world killers or what have you any number of things like Luther, uh probably a lot you're probably fighting like Luther a lot you're gonna like once a year probably you're gonna need <laughs> ballpark uh, you're gonna need a prop for that action sequence uh well i guess that's uh, gonna do it for this episode of supergirl radio but until next time i'm still rebecca johnson and i'm still morgan glennon and we hope you will now appreciate the props of supergirl in new ways 
McGurk! I love not typing. Not mess with my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you like it? Is being, becoming a human burrito a plus or a minus? I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther boardroom or ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this coat. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther. It's not just Lena being mean. No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Supergirl Radio.